Thank you, Hank, Clinton, Kurt, Elias. Appreciate you guys leading us in worship this morning. If you've been worshiping with us over the last month, we've spent October talking about the call to be good neighbors. And as Pastor Phil mentioned and invited you earlier in November, we're going to explore gratitude. Now, today in worship, we find ourselves between those two themes, and we're going to be thinking through how God practically shapes our lives. And this morning, if you could guess, the art of pumpkin carving is going to help us in light of our scripture from Isaiah to consider the ways that God has been and that God is at work in our lives. So in light of that, I'm curious, people worshiping online, people in the sanctuary, who here has carved a pumpkin in October? I'd say it's maybe 50-50 in the sanctuary. I'm, I'm curious. Well, I'll look at the online responses later. These pumpkins, my family carved last night, and in doing so, it had been a while. I had to think which type of knife we needed to use, and Sarah and I were talking. It was the first time we had done so since 2013, so we took a, an eight-year hiatus of pumpkin carving, but it was fun. You can see uh, one of our, our finished products here. Now, I'm sure you'll see many other beautiful ones tonight. Now, that's one of my favorite parts of Halloween. We have neighbors who go really hard on the decor, very elaborate, lots of inflatables, also some spooky stuff, but you know, for me, nothing beats an immaculately carved or shaped pumpkin. Now, this morning, we're going to look together at Isaiah 64. These words will be on the screen behind me. You're welcome to turn to them in your Bible or on your phone if you'd like to follow along. And this passage that we're looking at, it's amidst a longer communal lament in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a long book, 66 chapters. And so this coming in, Isaiah 64, falls near the end of it. And the words that we're going to hear and take in together, it's the prophet Isaiah speaking to the Jewish people. And the words that we're going to hear, they recall God's compassion. At the same time, they're acknowledging the needs of God's people in the present, at this moment in the story. And at this moment, it's a time where God's people have not been their best. And in Isaiah's words, we'll see there being people whose attempts to please God are comparable to filthy rags. So let's look at it together. Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, 
and like the wind, our sins sweeps us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. It's God's word for us this morning from Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. A majority of scholars have concluded that here in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is talking to the Jewish people who have returned to Jerusalem after being away in exile for so long. So I invite you to step into this passage with me. Can you imagine being in that number? This is people who are coming back to their homeland, coming back to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity. Their identity was so intertwined with the fact that they had been away from their home, Jerusalem. They'd been exiled for roughly 70 years, and they were simply homesick. It's hard to imagine some people in the community grew up away from their home. They had only heard stories of what it was like, and now they're journeying back there. Their dream is finally realized. We know from sources outside the Bible, as well as from the Bible itself, that Cyrus the Great, who was the king of Persia at the time, he granted the Jews permission to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. Several chapters earlier in Isaiah, there's a, a bit where Isaiah gives Cyrus praise, knowing that he's benevolent to God's people in doing this. So picture that. They've been in exile. They're going back to Jerusalem. Obviously, this would be a celebration, right? Almost like a parade of joy back to their home. Yet, what we've read, what we've heard, and what we see in Scripture is a lament. And it's not just Isaiah 64, it's part of a larger one in the passage from, that goes from Isaiah 55 all the way to the end of the book in Isaiah 66. So why? Why is it not a party? Why is there not joy and celebration here? Well, if you've placed yourself amidst those people who are going home, Picture returning, and your city is partially in ruins. On top of that, you've got neighbors, neighbors who are not making your return an easy one. And on top of that, there's infighting amongst the community. Not everyone's on the same page about how to get back and how to rebuild. And the reality hits them in the face very soon on that they could not just pick up and return where their ancestors left off in the glory days. What they had longed for generationally in exile, it was gone. So rather than parade or party, what we see the Jewish people come home to after the exile is a sobering and a painful homecoming. That backdrop 
could help explain some of this sense of pain and guilt that we see in our passage here in Isaiah 64. There's difficulty, and there's difficulty that's leading to frustration, and the frustration is leading to sin. Verse 6 stated, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. I'm not a lover of poetry, but that's some strong poetry, and that paints a picture for me of what's happening at this time. So what does that picture look like? What picture is Scripture painting for you in your mind? God's people are returning. They want to be righteous and triumphant in their return home. But they're acting more like filthy rags than righteous people. Isaiah, and this is you know, fitting if you've walked around outside today, says they're like shriveled leaves, dried up and no longer serving a purpose. Isaiah describes the situation of God's people in this moment and Simply put, they are far from the finished product, far from where they want to be, and they're messy. They're messy. Messy, kind of like the inside of a pumpkin. For those of you who raised your hands with me, if you carved this year, I was surprised. It had been eight years since I'd carved a pumpkin, and I kind of forgot how gooey it was. I probably should have brought a handkerchief up here with me or something, but it's messy, right? It's it's cold, it's gooey, there's seeds. And the people of Israel were amidst a situation that was simply put messy. Amidst the self assessment that we see in Scripture, in verses 6 and verses 7 here, there's vulnerability and there's awareness of God's power that follows. And I want us to make sure we give due attention to verses 8. In verses 9. Let's look at him again real quick. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. It's just nine verses that we're looking at here, but there's such a range of emotion and of calling. There's the self-assessment, there's the acknowledgement of sin, but Isaiah, like a, a good prophet here, points people to their heavenly Father and remembers the fact that they are chosen, that they are called, and that they absolutely matter to God. Let's consider a, a simple question together as we continue to look at this passage. Do you believe that God shapes your life? You can answer in your head, yes or no. Do you believe that God shapes your life? Cards on the table, I believe that God legitimately cares about each of us in this sanctuary, each of us worshiping online, every single person that is God's creation. And as a result, God is actively involved in shaping our desires and our convictions and our actions. We see that here in Isaiah 64 as God's described as the potter and we are the clay. We see it elsewhere in the Bible. Often in the Psalms, there's 
one example in Psalm 37, it says, the Lord makes firm the steps of those who delight in him. Though they may stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord upholds them with his hand. God shapes the path of those who delight in him. The New Testament is obviously full of that as God the Son comes down in the flesh, dwells amongst people to show who he is, who God is, and make the ultimate sacrifice. We also in the New Testament learn about the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's eternal and powerful presence in the lives of his followers, shaping them. God shaping our lives is wonderfully Trinitarian. If you'll bear with me, God the Son teaches about the gift of God the Holy Spirit, which is sent by God the Father. God intimately cares about us and shapes us and directs us in big picture ways, but on the micro scale as well. When we delight in the goodness for the world that God desires, which I believe we all crave deep down, we open the door to God shaping us to be instruments of that goodness. In light of Isaiah's example this morning, I invite us, rather than picturing an artist working on pottery, let's picture God as the artist doing the carving and us as the pumpkin being shaped in the manner that God desires. Because the reality is, without God, we are not complete. We're messy, as you can see. But we all, created in the image of God, have holy potential. If we believe these words from Scripture, that we are the work of God's hand. God shapes our lives. And I hope the reality of that statement that we see in Scripture that I'm telling you here will cause you to do some reflection today, this weekend, or this week about where you see God shaping your life right now. It might be that this is a concept that you know exists, but you're not in tune to the details of seeing it happen week in and week out. Now, if we're the clay in Isaiah 64, 8, or the pumpkin in our visual now, how is God at work carving us and shaping us? How, how are we going from a, a dirty pumpkin in the pumpkin patch to a finished product, a shining, smiling jack-o'-lantern? Let's focus on a few practical ways that God shapes us in light of Scripture and in light of our day-to-day lives. We'll start with seeing of course, jack-o'-lantern has eyes. Those were the, the first incisions we made last night when we were carving this one. It's important to think about how God shapes what we see, how God shapes our vision, where we focus, and what we perceive. We can be so focused, and I haven't lived a ton of places, but in this area, more than any area that I've lived, we can be so focused on what we feel like we need to do next or what we're working towards to accomplish that it's possible to miss what is right in front of our eyes. 
Sometimes in, in church or in prayers, you might hear people say, God, give us eyes to see. And that's because oftentimes God has a lot for us right in our midst that we fail to see and that we fail to acknowledge. God is at work shaping what's right there in front of us. And if we're not careful, we might miss it. Example that comes to mind is in the life of Matthew Gillette, who Pastor Phil mentioned in his prayer, the, the now saint uh, who died two weeks ago, he preached and practiced slowness. Slowness. In our fast, fast world, slowness is so counterintuitive. But so is the gospel. So naturally, it flows from that. Matt preached slowing down to see the kingdom of God all around us. And he lived it too. He knew his neighborhood. He knew Alexandria so well. And slowness was so much of a part of his spiritual rhythm that his obituary highlights his consistent walks around the neighborhood where he was able to slow down and take in his community. Neighbors reported that they could set their watch by his walks because he was so consistent walking around the neighborhood that he knew and that he loved. And as a result, he was aware of what God was already doing there. God is often at work around us, often right in front of us in the mundane. We look for God in the spectacular, but God shows up day in, day out in our everyday life. And God shapes us when we take time to be intentionally present and see God's hand working day in and day out. And when we do this, we can go from conceptually believing that God is at work to seeing God at work, to acknowledging God's work, to participating in the work of God that's right in front of us. So what are you looking past right now that you need to focus on. Perhaps God is at work in the midst of everything you're doing, right in front of you, maybe in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your social circles. So ask God to shape your vision. If God is the potter and we're the clay, if God's carving and we're the pumpkin, ask God to shape your vision that we might be shaped to see the ways that God is at work. God can shape how we see, and God obviously shapes how we speak as well. We know that words have power to bring hope and power to bring healing. They have the power to point people to God and to remind people of God's presence. If you were worshiping with us last Sunday, you might remember a story Pastor Phil told. He had a a friend who got grazed by a vehicle in a crosswalk and just shouted his name, his name only. And that friend reported that they felt safe, they felt seen, and they felt like God was present there. God can shape our words in a way that doesn't require us to do something incredible or to do something holy. Simply calling out a friend's name can carry power. This is something we can do if we allow God to shape our speech, and in doing so, we're allowing God to do the work 
as well. Whether it's a powerful word or whether it's a word of encouragement or taking the investment of time to step into a long conversation with someone, God can shape our speech and our words can have a powerful impact. So how are you using your voice to bring hope? God can shape our vision. God can shape our speech as well. God used Isaiah in our passage this morning. God shaped Isaiah's speech to speak truth, both to the Jews returning to Israel in our passage and to us today. And in the same way God used Isaiah, God can use us as well. If we ask God to shape our speech, to mold our words, to be God's presence to others. So God can shape our vision, God can shape our speech, and we, we know God can shape our actions as well. With a, a pumpkin, you know that it's at work when you see it shining. You can probably see the light inside of it here right now. And Jesus has so much to say about, about light. He's described as the light of the world. He teaches that his followers need to shine their light so that any darkness in the world can be driven out. He teaches in the Sermon on the Mount that his followers should let their light shine before others, that others might see their good works and praise God as a result. If we believe, as our passage says, that we are the work of God's hand, then we are each a creation in which God takes pride. None of us are random. None of us are an afterthought. We're each created by God to bear God's image in our lives, to shine. This happens informally and it happens corporately through the church. When we serve here at OTCC, our stellar volunteers make sure that God shines through them. They shine their lights of service to the community as people come looking for hope. And the community sees that light shining and knows this is a place where hope can be found, but more importantly, God is the one who can give that hope. Whether it's in organized service or by living in a way that demonstrates the fruits of the Spirit in your life, the way that we shine our light shows to others how God is at work in our lives and in the bigger picture of the world. I don't know about you, but I can't not stop and look at a lit pumpkin. I think tonight when I walk around, I'll be going pretty slowly because I want to see the designs and see them lighting up. In light of that, what is it about your life right now that would make people stop and look? How is God shaping you to shine in a way that others might take notice? Some examples might be coming to mind, but if you're still fishing for answers, that's okay too. We can take these words from Isaiah this morning as a reminder to ask God to shape our actions. Now we must acknowledge that something happens between going from a pumpkin in the wild 
to a carved pumpkin. It's got to get gutted, and it's got to get cut. It takes careful attention for this work to happen. You might see a perfect pumpkin tonight on a doorstep or posted online, but you probably won't see the work that went into that being a finished product. We hear Isaiah tell us this morning that we are the work of God's hand. We're God's handiwork. And when God is at work in our life, it's not always something that we want to put on display in that moment. God shaping us can be messy. It can be tedious. And our reluctance or our refusal to let God work in and through us can complicate the process. There are certainly times in our life where even though we know we're God's handiwork, we're not ready to be on display yet. We're maybe somewhere between here and here. And that's okay. If that's where you find yourself this morning, right now, that's okay. As long as you acknowledge the work of God in your life and continue to submit to God shaping you. Earlier I said, I believe that God legitimately cares about each of us. Like the psalm said, though we may stumble and though we fall, God upholds each of us with his hand. God's committed to the process. God won't abandon you or lose interest. Because the fact is, God wants our lives to look like Jesus. It's a pretty high ask. But we're the clay, and God is the potter. And God's going to continue nudging us to live lives that look more and more like Jesus. We're not going to get to a, a finished product where we sit and stop and say, yeah, you know, I've got everything figured out right now. Isaiah tells us we are the work of your hand, and God is continually at work shaping us. He is the potter, we're the clay. Or today, we're the pumpkins and he's the carver. So I encourage you, ask God to shape what you see and what you perceive. Ask God to shape your words and ask God to shine brightly through you so that others will acknowledge God at work in your life. We are the work of your hand. We see in Isaiah 64, 8. That is what the Israelites needed to hear from Isaiah when they returned to Jerusalem post-exile. And it might be what we need to hear this morning, too. We are each collectively and together as a church the work of God's hand. So let's pray verse 9 together. Reminded that we're God's handiwork, let's allow God to shape our lives this week. Look on us, we pray for we are all your people. Take these words from Isaiah into your week ahead. Ask God to shape your vision, your speech, and your actions to shine through you, that others might look at your life and see God at work in you. Amen? Let's pray, and then Hank will lead us in song. God, help us remain aware of the ways that you desire to work in us. 
Lord, help us submit to your hand shaping our lives. God, help us see what you need us to see. Help us speak the words you've prepared for us that your spirit has laid upon us. And God, help us live lives that demonstrate that we have been transformed by you. And God, that you have the power to transform others. Equip us.